Father, we pray today that you would open our eyes to never responding in anger or cruelty or anything other than love, but also, God, to never be dominated or put into bondage by it. So may we understand, Lord, that we need to rise up and be who you want us to be. And God, may no one rob our joy, our peace, or our ability to love. In Jesus' name, amen.
is mean Why you gotta be so mean I, I love the song. I loved how they did it. I got to give you some background. Jimmy is our, our guitar player, is one of the best guitar players ever. I think everybody knows that. Um, he's also incredibly shy, so Taylor had a blast putting the spotlight on him and having him. Oh, that, that was good. Uh, we can all get joy out of that, right? Um, Hey, you know what? The reality is in life, we hit moments where, you know, things don't go the way we want. For instance, our mailing. I opened up the letter, or actually, to be more honest, Pam opened up the letter. And instead of being the Chuck and Pam Boer, I now am Joseph Abadaka. And, uh, you know, and, and Pam's like, oh, that's the wrong name. Names can matter. When you're a kid, have you ever thought about how people used your names? There was a guy, and uh, he was born, and his parents named him Charlie. His last name was Waddlebottom. Charlie Waddlebottom. So he got to the place that he hated his name. So when he turned 21, he changed his name to Gary. <laughs> okay, some of you will get it later. Uh, I've, Gary Waddlebottom. Oh, any. Um, I've been laughing about that, and my assistant said, don't tell it, but I did. Um, you know what? Uh, there, there are actual court transcripts, I think, that show kind of how ludicrous things can get. And uh, towards the end of the year, they get released. These really did come from actual court transcripts. Uh, A doctor uh, was being interviewed on the stand, on the witness stand by an attorney. And the attorney said this. He said, now, doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in his sleep, he doesn't know about it till the next morning? And the doctor said, did you actually pass the bar exam? (laughs) You know, how about this? Another attorney to a witness So the date of the conception of the baby was August 8th. The witness said, yes. The attorney said, what exactly were you doing at the time? Okay, we don't want to know the answer to that one. Um, How about this? An attorney said, how was your first marriage terminated? The witness said, by death. Then the attorney said, by whose death was it terminated? (laughs) And then I love this one. Um, this attorney's trying to nail this doctor over some malpractice issues. And so here's what happens. It's kind of a little longer. But the attorney says, doctor, how many autopsies have you performed on dead people? The uh, doctor says, all my autopsies are performed on dead people. The attorney said, do you recall the time that you examined the mentioned body? The witness said, yes. The autopsy started at around 8.30 p.m. And the attorney said, and was Mr. Denton dead at the time? The doctor said, no. He was sitting on the table wondering why I was doing an autopsy on him. (laughs) The attorney said, doctor, before you performed the autopsy, did you check for a pulse? The the doctor said, no. The attorney said, did you check his blood pressure? The uh, doctor said, no. The attorney said, did you check for breathing? The doctor said, no. The attorney said, So then, is it possible that the patient was alive when you began your autopsy? The doctor said, no. The attorney said, how can you be so sure, doctor? And the doctor said, because his brain was sitting in a jar on my desk. (laughs) The attorney says, but couldn't it have been possible that the patient was alive nevertheless? And the doctor said, yes, it is possible. He could have been practicing law. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. 
in life, uh, a lot of litigation happens around warnings. And uh, this year, uh, you know, like every year, there's a, a group that actually issues the wacky warning labels. And I haven't seen this year's yet. But in a past period of time, here were some actual labels that were put on things so that the companies wouldn't be sued. Uh, a small tractor company actually has a sticker on theirs that said, Danger, Avoid Death. I don't know how you got sued over that one. How about this? A hairdryer says this. It says, do not use while sleeping. Okay, think about that one. An iron-on T-shirt transfer said this. Do not iron on while wearing the shirt. (laughs) Um, A sleep aid that helps people with insomnia said, warning this product may cause drowsiness. And I like this one. A child's superhero costume said, Warning, wearing this garment does not enable the child to truly fly. And, and this is a real one. Okay, get ready for this. A Swedish chainsaw company said, uh, Warning, do not attempt to stop the chain when it's moving by using your hands or genitals. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, Paul the apostle gives a warning that is for all times, but particularly for our day and time. And it's in second Timothy chapter three. And I want you to look at what it says. It says, but realize this, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Now I want you to key in on that word difficult. I don't go past it too quickly. And he's saying that, that this is something that we're going to see increase in the last days. And, and the word difficult is a very interesting Greek word. Uh, it has the idea of violence behind it. As a matter of fact, that very word is used when Jesus encountered two demon-possessed men. And it says when the demon went into him, that they, they, these two men, they behaved violently. In other words, they, it actually is the difficult word. And so there's an idea that in the last days, a violence will begin to arise. Uh, the word also has the idea of of according to Plutarch, of a festering sore, uh, uh, an ugly wound. And, and it's the idea that you have a wound or a sore that becomes infected, and, and in that infection grows. And so what Paul says is, God told me to tell you something, that as the last days grows upon us, as, as we get closer and closer to the end, as the second coming of Christ is imminent, and the Antichrist begins to arise, know this, Don't miss the fact that there will be horrible, malignant things occurring. The the disease in human nature will grow and escalate. And then he begins to describe it. Verse 2. For men will be lovers of self. Now we're going to read on, but I don't want you to miss where we're going today. We're talking about being free from narcissism and being freed from the narcissist. There's no better description than the idea of someone who's a narcissist and they're a lover of themselves. They're in love with who they are. They're in love with their own opinion. They're in love with their own power and domination. As a matter of fact, Chuck Swindoll said, and I think he's right, that everything else you read that that follows this grows out of that idea. That idea that people are so self-centered, they they believe life revolves around them, that their opinion matters so much, that everybody ought to stop for them. That he said that as that grows in the last days, that all these other horrible things will come with it. 
Now, you might say, well, hasn't everybody always struggled with this self-centeredness a little bit, being selfish? The answer is yes. It's always been a part of the, the frailty of the human condition. But here's the point. It's getting worse. Uh, Chuck Swindoll did say, he goes, in my 73 years on earth, I've never seen it at this level. By the way, I want to tell you, I, I, I agree. Uh, but not only do I agree with that subjectively, uh, one of the men in our church whom I love is Dr. David Smith. He's a psychologist. And Dr. Smith was telling me that narcissistic personality disorder is on the rise. It's a legitimate condition and case. It's, it's a disorder that occurs in people. By the way, it is something you can be healed from. But the true diagnosis that is occurring in people, that by the way, when someone becomes self-loving, self-absorbed, narcissistic. They inflict pain within a family. They bring wounds into your life. And they usually turn the knife. They infect it worse. And these aren't just words for many people. Matter of fact, last service, I got to talk with a few. Because the pain of living with someone who's self-loving and a narcissist can kill. Uh, I shared about it early in the series, but the legend of Narcissus, the myth of Narcissus, is that he was so beautiful that everyone was in love with him, and that fed into a very evil nature. He thought that everything should revolve around him. Echo fell in love with Narcissus. She was so caught up with him, she would do anything for him. But the more that she would do, the more he would use her. She became a utility in his life, not someone he genuinely loved. He would use, have her around for his pleasure and his whims and for what he wanted. And nothing she valued mattered to him. But he mattered so much to her that she would give in to this. And Echo began to literally fade away. Till eventually all that was left of Echo was her echoing the voice of Narcissus. She didn't even have her own voice her own presence, her own being, she just faded into nothing. When you're around a narcissist, you fade into nothing. They think when they enter the room, it all matters about them. When they come home, everything ought to be on their time schedule. Everything ought to be done their way. Everything ought to be done to give them pleasure. And they're just filled with self-love. According to the the myth of narcissist, he actually died because he looked into a, a beautiful pool of water that was completely still and he fell so in love with himself that he couldn't bear to leave so he actually died he starved to death now god is warning about something here and we're going to get into this more jesus is going to say that if we really want to live our life with him and for him the kind of life you and i were meant to meant to live that we can't be selfish we must be selfless we can't be self-centered we must be other-centered We can't act like everybody ought to feed into who he are. We ought to live our life wanting to serve others. And Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny self, himself, and take up his cross. Die to who you are so that you might live. And he says, anybody who doesn't get that is going to seek a life that in the end kills them. It starves you of love. Because here's the scary thing. Narcissistic people do not know how to love. And we're in a society like that today. We're so in love with self that love doesn't really exist and people don't understand how to love. And notice what grows out of that in verse 2. Then what they do is they become not lovers of people, but lovers of money. Boastful, arrogant, revilers. How about this one? Disobedient to parents. You know why? Because narcissistic people tend to raise narcissists. That's why the problem's increasing. 
And what happens is we are watching another generation. It's happened in the last two. But we're watching another generation arise that thinks the world ought to revolve around them. And I know that I'm going to kind of get off and get my own bent on this. But I got to tell you that that's not how I was raised. Man, my mom and dad let me know that there were times that they wanted life to be around me. And there were lots of times it had nothing to do with me. And uh, uh, many of you who are in the education system, you're seeing the outgrowth of the problem today. Because what happens is you discipline a child and the parent comes and threatens you for disciplining their child. In my day and time, when I got busted by a teacher, I got busted at home. My dad was, how dare you do something? My dad didn't defend me. As a matter of fact, I went to a school where we got swatted. So if I got swatted at school, guess what was waiting at home? Now, you ready for this? Were there times the teacher could be wrong? Yes. And you know what my dad's response was? Even if they're wrong, you show them respect. Because they have a position. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Guess what I was taught? Life's not about me. That's not what's going on now. It's my rights and my way. And then I hear the most narcissistic statement of all. If I'm not happy, no one is. Now, I talk about this one a lot because I hear it a lot. Well, you know, I've got to make sure I take care of me first. Because if I'm not happy, nobody is. I want to be real clear today. There's some of you here who aren't happy. I'm having a great day. All around you, people are fine. And I got to, we're not going to stop for you, Okay. We care about you, but you know, I got to be honest. Lots of people can be happy when you're not. And and we've got to understand life isn't about us. And and when we don't understand that, what do we get? We raise children who are disobedient to parents. Even narcissistic parents raise kids who don't obey them, who are brats. And and, and, don't you, I was at the mall the other day and I was looking at a kid and I thought, oh my gosh, am I glad I don't go home to that child. You know, and, and I thought, you know what? I hate to say it. This parent probably deserves it. And the more I watched, I thought they do deserve it. And, and we see that occurring. And God warns that we begin to see those kind of attitudes actually magnify as the last days come. It goes on to say they're ungrateful. They're unholy. They're unloving. They're irreconcilable. I can't tell you the number of people who ought to be able to get along that can't get along because of narcissistic attitudes. There's some families this Christmas that aren't going to celebrate it because of some people who just act like, well, if it's not my way, then forget it. And they're so unreasonable, they're irreconcilable. Uh, They're malicious gossips. They're without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied his power. Avoid such men as these. Now, Jesus said this was going to happen. Jesus said it would get worse. In Matthew 24, verse 12, it says, Because lawlessness increased, most people's love will grow cold. Now, what we're talking about is when people don't have a source of authority. So the reality is when I and you, when you and I enter into the Lordship of Christ and say God is the authority, God is the one who defines morality. The Bible is the one that directs our way and tells what's right or wrong. There's a law that takes place that calls for us to love people and not self. But when that law is taken away, when God is not allowed to be talked about in school, when we can't tell people there is a right or wrong, when we can't come up with the correct definition of relationships, a marriage, children to parents, uh, uh, how we relate to each other, lawlessness increases and people become cold hearted. 
And Jesus said in the last days that will occur because lawlessness abounds. People's love will grow cold. God's desire is for you not to get caught and be into a situation where you are continually having this kind of infection thrown upon you or it's close to you. As a matter of fact, I love how William Peterson or Eugene Peterson in the message uh, uh, actually translates the passage. I want to go back and read it again. The one we just read, but listen to it from the message. He says, don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed. They're going to be narcissistic, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous appearance, crude, coarse. They're going to be dog-eat-dog, unbending slanderers, impulsive, wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags. I love that one. Addicted to lust, but allergic to God. Addicted to lust, but allergic to God. Then he says it this way. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scene, their animals steer clear of people like this. Uh, People who are narcissistic very often are religious, but what they do is they take the Bible and use it as a club to be people. They act like they're, they have a sense of authority using it. And, and, and I got to tell you, I see this so often and it just scares me. Because if anything, we need to understand that God has called for us to be servants and caring and loving. And the Bible is to bring healing and hope. And too often it becomes a set of rules that a narcissist used to, uh, to tell people they're wrong and to get their way. To dominate. It's kind of interesting. It says they hold to that form, but behind the scenes they don't. You know what they're a lot like? They're like the politician who's tough on crime, but we find out they've been embezzling. Or the politician who's high on family values who's having an affair. By the way, uh, David Smith, Dr. Smith was telling me that narcissists tend to be politicians. And, and they tend to be attorneys. And scary, get ready, they tend to be pastors. And I said, are you talking about me? I said, if you don't think so, I am. And... Uh, You know what is, is it happens and, and they can use religion. How many people have been wounded, not because of the truth of Christ, but because of a misuse of the word of God that's used to dominate and tell you can't do this. And, and, and then you look and see them doing anything but the same thing. Uh, uh, the, the, the dad who ain't with anger pronounces the reviling judgment of God. Does God judge? You bet he does. But God says, I never take pleasure, ever take pleasure in someone who's on the right, wrong course. And and if we can't have our heart breaking for people, we haven't caught what it means. And there's this false form of spirituality. Think about the wife that looked at me with just tears streaming down her face saying, because of my husband, I don't know if I ever want to go to church again. And uh, when we began to understand what was going on behind the scenes, it was a killer. Why? Because it literally, it literally kills. It literally kills. Uh, Chuck Swindoll in talking about a narcissist says, that's why Paul the apostle calls them revilers, a term that could be rendered abusive in speech. He says, if you spend enough time with a narcissist, it isn't long before you witness or you suffer abuse. You and others are a means to uh, mean nothing to this person except to further his or her agenda. It's all about them. It's not that a narcissistic person can't appear to be good. They can. They may be the dad who's the little league coach, but they actually do it so that they get more benefit out of it than the child. 
You, you can't have ever been in a little league and not seen a dad who acts like that. Uh, it may be that they buy things for the family, but in the end, it's always for their pleasure. And so when it all starts to come out, what happens is, is the son or daughter or the wife says to the husband, but you never really were there for us. And he says, what do you mean? I was working so hard and I bought you this and this and this. And more common than not, the response is, those were all for you. It was all about, when did I ever ask for that? It was all about you. On the one minute, you bought it for us, but then you held it over us. You made us pay more than it would ever be worth what you just gave us. And by the way, when you have someone that you find out what they did is they gave you something so they can have a domination, a power in your life. And that's what self-loving people do. That's what narcissists do. And God says, oh, that's the wrong way to go. But no, in the last days, you'll see that kind of attitude arising. And, and people are going to be maimed and hurt and infected by it. And families are hurt. We need to understand that that's what narcissists do. They do not see people as people to love and care for and pour themselves into. That's why, by the way, when I was talking with David about this, uh, Dr. Smith, I said, hey, uh, give me some just background. I don't pretend to know everything about it. And, and he was saying, now, again, now I don't want you to, to get too quick to define this. But in general, people who are narcissists have two kind of attitudes, emotional beings that come out of them. One is boredom. Narcissists get bored real easy. Uh, they'll show up at a place like this and go, ah, oh, it's not about me. Therefore, I'm not going to listen. Oh, man, it was horrible today because I didn't get anything out of it. I mean, the idea of saying, wow, the message is for someone else. I'm going to sit and just pray for Chuck and pray for healing and pray for others. No, that's not in their mindset. Matter of fact, uh, by the way, real quick, a narcissist would say something like, "Ah, I looked ahead at the topic and I'm not going to church because that has nothing to do with me. It's not like, oh, wait, maybe that isn't my area of life. Why don't I go and, and, and let a children's worker come and I'll take their spot? Why don't I go offer to serve? Why don't I? Oh, no, no. The church isn't about me. By the way, when we have that attitude, who are we worshiping? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and narcissists do that at home. They just get bored. They walk in the house and, and they want to talk about their day and what they love and what they want to do. And, and, and by the way, I'm going to go back again if it's the wife. And she says, oh, this how ha- and, and, and he doesn't have an interest in it. It's like, oh, man. And he just gets bored. His kids run in. He gets bored. He doesn't know how to take pleasure in the joy of someone else in something that he wouldn't enjoy or she wouldn't enjoy. That's narcissistic. That's self-love. The other day I walked in the house and Pam just couldn't wait to rave about this machine called a cricket machine. I don't have a clue what a cricket machine is. She tried to explain it. I still don't get it. I could promise you this. I'm not going to buy one for me. I just paid all that money for hers. But, um, But you know what? My wife loves it. And she just had a group of women over and they love it. And I heard them laughing and joking and I heard her planning the next day. And I just honestly, you know, I thought, you know what I know Pam wants to do? She wants to come in and just tell me all about it. And here's the thing. I got to be honest. I still don't care about a cricket machine. But I care about her. And I care about how much she loves it and what she's going to do with it. When my uh, last night after the musical, I got to pick up my grandson, Liam. That's the first time I've got to. And so I ran up to the children's area and I picked him up and two of our children's workers, uh, uh, Shannon said, hey, 
they did crafts out there. And I thought, well, Liam's not even two years old. Does he know what a craft is? And we're walking by, and he pointed at his. It was a little snowflake. And, and the workers had worked with him. They had written his name on it. They held his hand and did this. I mean, he didn't personally really do it, but he pointed at his. And I picked it up and let him put it in his hands, and he showed it to me and just talking away. And by the way, I can't understand a word he says. I do believe in tongues now because he's just going, man. And, <laughs> and, and I knew that this, and you know what I wanted to do? Anybody who cares about that child, what will you, you look him in the eye and you tune in. Do I understand a word? No, I know he enjoys it. And I hope I'm giving him a message that it doesn't have to be around me. I get joy in him. By the way, I, I, I don't know if you know, did you know God gets joy in you? And you need to get joy in others. You need to walk and, and maybe it's someone and they walk up and, oh, this was incredible. And do you just get excited for them? And by the way, that's a huge way to feed into somebody. Narcissistic people just get bored. The other thing that gets angry, they just find anger inside. And Jesus said, when that happens, you've just got to die to self. You can't be that way. By the way, people who are narcissistic tend to be really good at what they do. Uh, Dr. Johanna Ashman said this. She said, it's not unusual for narcissists to be outstanding in their field of work. But these are successful people who have a history of alienating colleagues, coworkers, employees, students, clients, and customers. People go away mad or sad after close contact with the narcissist. And then she said, if you had a narcissist for a parent, you lived in a world governed by whim and forced without mercy. All of a sudden you're in trouble and there's nothing you can do. And by the way, when you're a child like that, you're in trouble. And even though you try to make your case, you're always wrong. It's always twisted back on you. One of the worst things you can do is tell a narcissist they're wrong because they're never wrong. Matter of fact, she goes on to say in this particular study, they found that when a narcissist has been called on something, even something they just said, they'll say they didn't say it. When you point out to them, no, you said it, they just get mad at you and they twist it back and make you the culprit. By the way, if you ever prove they're wrong, you're going to pay a price later. They're going to come after you. They're going to make sure and take a shot at a deeper area and escalate quickly. And so it's a dangerous thing for you to show a narcissist an email to prove they said what they said. Because they don't ever want to be wrong. And if you're a child, now you're really a victim of that. And uh, then it says, though, the surest way, she says, to get a crushing blow from a narcissist is to tell the narcissist you love them. Because from that point on, they're just going to use you. And they're going to know that they have power over you. Because it's all in the end comes down to what they want. Jesus said there's an answer to this. And there is an answer. If you struggle with this, and by the way, we all do to some degree, but if you do in a great way, Jesus can change you. There is hope. Uh, Dr. Smith was telling me that this is an area if people are willing to face the brutal truth and some pain. On the other side, there's freedom. And if you've had someone hurt you this way, there's freedom. But listen to what Jesus said. He said, if anyone, Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, in other words, first thing we have to do is put Jesus first in our life. We can't say we're using him. We have to come to serve him. If you want to come after him, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then he said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
God's great desires, we understand that Jesus watches people wrestle with that now, and he did back then. In Mark chapter 9, 33 to 35, Jesus went into a room with the disciples, and he said, what were you discussing? And they got really silent. And you know what they were discussing? Who is the greatest person here? By the way, if you're with Jesus, they already know the answer, wouldn't you? But no, Peter thought he was the greatest. John thought Jesus is standing there, and they're wondering who's the greatest. By the way, Jesus didn't point out, uh, guys, I'm the greatest. You had five loaves, two fish. I fed 5,000. You could do nothing. I walk on water. Peter, you sunk. I mean, he didn't do that, did he? What, what, what happened is he said, you know what? If you really want to understand what life's all about, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the servant of all. You guys got to stop doing this. You got to start understanding. It's about giving yourself to others. It's about doing, that's where the quality of life comes from. And if you and I would deny self and take up our cross and begin to love and care, sometimes it's even against how you feel. By the way, if you go, I don't feel like doing it, good, kill that feeling off. Put it to death. And the more you don't feel like it, the more you choose to do it. And then if you say, but I don't feel like it, then you choose to do it with even more joy. And by the way, that's where you begin to win. And God can empower you to do that. We can have that ability. Jesus said we need to understand it's about being different from the world. In Mark 10, verses 42 to 45, Jesus said to the disciples, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. He said, You know that people who have authority, they use that authority to, to boss people around. He said, But it is not to be this way among you. It is not to be this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be a servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be a slave. For even the son of man does not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. By the way, if you're a person who has authority over others, I I have that just based on job description and org chart. Hey, let's all really do a checkup and make sure we don't use that to boss people around. That's not leading. That's not being an effective leader. And Jesus said in the world, people think they're effective because, man, they tell people. And I'm not saying not to use, you know, the, the, your position in the right way, but it's about serving. It's about caring. It's about love. I, I don't know. You know, my staff's going to have to help me do a checkup on that, but I hope they don't feel I dominate them and domineer them. And I hope all of you who have that kind of leadership, you don't either. It's not to be that way amongst us. I remember after a seminar we were doing with some families, the question came up, a guy said, okay, I've heard all that stuff. I just want to ask, what does the Bible say about who's the boss? And his wife just cringed. And, and I want to tell you what the Bible says about who's the boss. Are you ready? It's very clear. Nobody. I mean, I, some of you go, oh, Chuck, you're not biblical there. You're giving in. No, I'm not. Uh, 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 actually, when you look at Ephesians 5, it says, be submissive to one another. And then it talks about the, the husband being the head of the wife. And you say, well, doesn't that mean he's the leader in the home? The answer to that's yes, he is. But that doesn't make him the boss. Because if you're a leader in the home, you're the what of all? The servant of all. So guys, if you're a husband, you're to be the lead servant in the home. Nobody should outserve you. Nobody, when you walk in the house, it's not, what do they do for me? You start walking around asking how you can serve your wife and you can serve your kids. Some of you guys aren't going to like this, but when the baby's crying late at night, who gets up to get the baby? The lead servant. Wise, you just have to say, honey, you're the leader. Go get him. (laughs) Wow, that diaper smells. Who ought to change it? Lead servant, right? 
It's time to get down and dirty, buddy. And uh, you start doing that, you're going to start showing the lead love that you're supposed to. And see, Jesus said, that's what I did. And, and Jesus said, haven't you caught the message? It's the true way of humility. It's the true way of doing what we should do. I love the idea that in Romans 12, it says, don't be conformed to a narcissistic world. It didn't use the word narcissistic, but a world that is narcissistic. Don't be conformed to the world, but be renewed by having a whole different mindset. And then in Romans 8, 5 to 8, it says, for those who live according to the flesh, in other words, set their mind on themselves, on the moment. He says, but those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. It brings death. There's some of you today who feel like being around someone like that has killed you. You faded away into nothing. You look at him and think, I love you, but you don't even know that I exist unless you can use me. If for one moment I don't please you, you'd banish me. If we don't do what you won't want to do, you don't want to be there. And uh, it's killed you. And it, it kills them. Verse 6 says, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. By the way, when it's set on the flesh, there's all these family turmoil and work turmoil and friendships blowing up. It shouldn't be that way. Verse 7 says, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It doesn't say, you know what, I've got to understand that I need to live my life not lawlessly, but according to scripture and at times saying no to self. And then it says, is not even able to do so. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here's the good news. The mindset on the spirit, it says, is life and peace. That's God's great desire is that you and I would have a mind that's very different. Today, if, if you have been wounded by somebody who's narcissistic, you know it. And I've gotten emails this week and last week leading up to this saying, Chuck, it's just too real. And it is. But I want you to know you can be set free from the pain and from the hurt because Jesus can heal it. And just the reason we had that song sung, as I love that line, the cycle ends now, you can stop it. If you're here today and you've tended to do that to yourself or others, you can be set free. There really is the power of God to change us to becoming more loving, more caring, more kind. God may come and redeem situations you thought were irredeemable if you would let him. And how do you do that? Well, you open up to him. It's very true that what happened when you and I said yes to Jesus, we said we don't want to be who we are anymore. See, I I want you to catch that. When I say yes to Jesus, I'm saying I don't want to be who I used to be. I want to be who you made me to be. I want to live the way you want me to live. I want to be the person I should be. And God, that means I want to have you be the God of my life, not me. And I want to be someone who takes the love you give to me and love others. To do that, you have to surrender to him completely. Today, today I want to ask you, would you be willing to do that if you need to? When you do, when you open up to God and you say, God, I want to have this relationship with you, he adopts you as a child. He wants you to have not just a relationship with him as a God, but as your father. And the way you enter into it is you open up your, your literally whisper the words, Lord, I want this. I want you. I want it. And if you do not right now have a personal relationship, a very real relationship with the Lord, he wants you to. And when we go to prayer in a moment, I'm praying that God's going to touch some of you. 
And you're going to open up and say yes to him. If you're saying, man, I, I've just blown it in so many ways. I want to tell you, God can help you. He can cleanse you. He can forgive you. He can redeem. If you're here today and you're saying, but I'm hurt and I'm wounded. God can heal you. Jesus died to take away that pain and to heal your broken heart. Open up to him. Today, if you're someone who used to be close to God, but you're not, he wants you back. I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to say yes to him. Let's pray together. Father, I know that very often we all literally struggle with the battle of wanting ourself and selfish desires to rule and win. There's been times we've been in arguments and we've kept going even though we know we're wrong and we don't want to admit it and we ache inside and quiver inside and our stomach churns. And Lord, I think you actually are trying to get our attention to say, stop. It would feel so good just to let go and say, I'm sorry. Father, there are people here today who should have great relationships with someone else and they don't have it because they just can't let go. They want to be right. And they've justified it enough to end a relationship. They don't realize they're part of a festering wound. But God, you can heal if they'll let you. You can change us if we'll let you. You can cause us, Lord, to be people who live, live life freely and abundantly if we'll let you. So I pray today that you would begin to touch anybody who needs to open up to you. That, Lord, today they would be ready to come to you. Maybe they have to have a death of self, or maybe they have to, to, to let go of pain and hurt, or maybe they, they just right now, they, they got to open up because there's something about to happen, and, Lord, this is their day to, change, to accept you and change, and it's time. So I ask that your Holy Spirit start touching them. And, Lord, I pray today lots of people, lots of men and women, lots of guys and girls are going to open up and say yes to you. Father, I pray for some people today who need to come back. They used to at one time be so on fire and so excited. They used to literally be used by you to touch others. And today they're cold. Today it's hard to even imagine that coming back. But I know you want it for them today. I pray they want it and they're going to say yes to you. And God, I pray for the person today, the people today who have been hurt by others being mean, cruel, words that stung and hurt, and they echo too often. People who look at people in their life today and they want to have a relationship with them and it's not there and they can't seem to get through. Others, Lord, who've run, they've had to run because it hurts so bad. God, I pray today that your comfort, your love would be upon them. And I pray they'd open up to you. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And right now, we're praying the Spirit of God is touching some of you. And that you know that God right now wants you to, to give yourself completely to Him or to come back. And I'm going to ask you to do this today. If you need to either give yourself to Christ or you want to recommit or you want to just have God's healing and touch and have Him make you new, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to start this process by whispering a prayer with me. Just say these words. If you want this life with him and he wants it, if you sense it's from him, right now, God's touching you. Whisper these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know that you died on the cross 
forgive me of my sins, to heal me from my hurt, to free me from my fear. Lord, you died and you arose to make me alive, to make me yours, to make me new. And I say, yes, I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.